Chapter Seven of Dodo Wonders by E. F. Benson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Crow Girl. Chapter Seven, Dodo's Apprenticeship. The morning papers were late that day, and when they arrived, Dodo snatched at them and automatically turned to the communique from the French front. There was a list of names of villages which had been lost to the Allies, but these were unfamiliar and meant nothing to her. Then she looked with a sudden sinking of the heart at the accompanying map, which showed by a black line the new position of the front, and that was intelligible enough. For the last fortnight it had been moving westwards and southwards with regular and incredible rapidity, like the advance of some incoming tide over level sands. Occasionally, for a little, it had been held up, but the flood, frankly irresistible, always swept away that which had caused the momentary check. In the next column was an account of German atrocities, compiled from the stories of Belgian refugees. Dodo had come back to London last night from Winston, where she had been seeing to the conversion of the house into a Red Cross hospital, and just now she felt, like some intolerable ache, the sense of her own uselessness. All her life she had found it perfectly easy to do the things which she wanted to do, and she had supposed herself to be an efficient person. But now, when there was need for efficient people, what did her qualifications amount to? She could ride, as few women in England could ride. She was possessed of enormous physical and nervous energy. She was an inimitable hostess, could convert a dull party into a brilliant one by the sheer effortless outpouring of her own wit and infectious vivacity. But for all practical purposes, from organization down to knitting, she was as useless as a girl straight out of the nursery where everything had been done for her by assiduous attendance. She was even more useless than such a child, for the child at any rate had the adaptability and the power of learning appropriate to its age, whereas Dodo, as she had lately been ascertaining, had all her life been pouring her energy down certain definite and now useless channels. In consequence, those channels had become well-worn, her energy flowed naturally with them, and seemed to refuse to be diverted with any useful result elsewhere. She could ride, she could play bridge, she could, as she despondently told herself, talk the hind leg off a donkey, she could entertain and be entertained till everyone else was dying to go to bed, and no one wanted her to do any of those things now. There was absolutely no demand for them. But when it came to knitting a stocking herself, or being personally responsible for a thing being done, instead of making a cook or a groom or a butler responsible for it, she had no notion how to set about it. Very characteristically, when David's nurse had announced her intention of being trained for hospital work, Dodo had warmly congratulated her determination, had given her an enormous tip, and had bundled her off to the station in a prodigious hurry, saying that she would look after David herself. But the things that a small boy required to have done for him filled her with dismay at her own incompetence when she had to do them. If he got his feet wet, fresh socks had to be found for him. If his breeches were covered with short white hairs from his ride, these must be brushed off, buttons had to be replaced, there was no end to these ministrations. Dodo could not get on at all with the stockings she was knitting, or the supervision of the storing of the furniture at Winston, while she had to produce a neat daily David, and incidentally failed to do so. She advertised for another nurse without delay, and David was exceedingly relieved at her arrival. Dodo was, luckily, incapable of prolonged despair with regard to her own shortcomings, 
and by way of self-consolation her thoughts turned to the fact that before she left Winston she had contrived and arranged a charming little flat in a wing of the house for herself and David and Jack, whenever he could find time to come there, for he was in charge of a remount camp, knowing, as he certainly did, all that was to be known about horses from A to Z. Dodo's mind harked back for a moment to her own uselessness in envious contemplation of the solid worth in practical ways of her husband's knowledge. For herself, through all these frivolous years, she had been content with the fact of her consummate horsemanship. She had hands, she had a seat, she had complete confidence, well warranted, in her ability to manage the trickiest and most vicious of four-legged things. There her knowledge, or rather her instinct, stopped, whereas Jack, a mere lubber on a horse compared with herself, was a perfect encyclopedia with regard to equine matters of which she was profoundly ignorant. He could size up a horse by looking at it, in a way incomprehensible to Dodo. He knew about sore backs, and ran mashes, and frogs, and sickle-hawks, and now all the lore which she had never troubled to learn, any more than she had troubled to decipher a doctor's prescription and understand its ingredients, was precisely that which made Jack, at this crisis when efficiency was needed, so immensely useful. However, after all, she had been useful too, for she had planned that delicious little flat at Winston, necessary, since the house was to be made into a hospital, which would give accommodation to them. Everything, of course, was quite simple. She had put in two bathrooms, with the usual paraphernalia of squirts and douches and sprays, and had converted a peculiarly spacious pantry into a kitchen with a gas-stove and white-tiled walls. Naturally, since the house was no longer habitable, this had to be done at once, and her energy had driven it through in a very short space of time. The expense had been rather staggering, especially in view of the cost of running a hospital, so Dodo had sent the bill to her father, with a lucid explanatory letter. The thought of this delicious little flat, which would be so economical, with its gas-stove for cooking and its very simple central heating, in case, as Jack gloomily prognosticated, there should be difficulties about coal before the war was over, made Dodo brighten up a little, and diverted her thoughts from the on-creeping barbarous tide in France, and the sense of her own uselessness. After all, somebody had to contrive to invent, even though plumbers and upholsterers effected the material conversion, and Daddy paid the bill and she had come up to town in order to superintend a similar change at Chesterford House. That was to be turned into a hospital for officers, and Dodo was determined that everything should be very nice. The ballroom would be a ward, so also would be the biggest of the three drawing-rooms, but the dining-room had better be left just as it was, in anticipation of the time when the invalids could come down to dinner again. She intended to keep a couple of rooms for herself, and one for her maid, since she could not be at Winston all the year round. And then, suddenly, she perceived that behind all her charitable plans there was the reservation of complete comfort for herself. It cost her nothing, in the personal sense, to live in a wing at Winston and a cosy corner of the house in London. There was not an ounce of sacrifice about it all, and yet she had read with a certain complacency that very morning that Lord and Lady Chesterford had set a noble example to the rest of the wealthy classes, in giving up not one only, but both of their big houses. But now all her complacency fell down like a house of cards. Jack certainly had given up something, for his day was passed in real personal work. He was on the staff with a nice red band on his cap and tabs on his shoulders and spurs. 
and here, even in the moment that she was damning her own complacency, she was back in the old rut, thinking about signs and decorations, instead of what they stood for. There was the black line of the tide creeping over France, and three columns of casualties in the morning's paper, and one of German atrocities. Dodo was expecting Edith to lunch, and since the chef had gone back to France to rejoin the colours, there was only a vague number of kitchen-maids, scullery-maids, and still-room maids in the house to manage the kitchen, and even these were being rapidly depleted, as, with Dodo's cordial approval, they went to canteens and other public services. She had, in fact, warned Edith only to expect a picnic, and she thought it would be more picnicky if they didn't go to the dining-room at all, but had lunch on a table in her sitting-room. This did not, as a matter of fact, save much trouble, since the dining-room was ready, and a table had to be cleared in her sitting-room. But Dodo, at the moment of giving the order, was on the dramatic stunt, and when Edith arrived, there was a delicious little lunch, in process of arrival also. "'Darling, how nice of you to come,' said Dodo. "'And you won't mind pigging it in here, will you? "'Yes, let's have lunch at once. "'The chef's gone, the butler's gone, "'and I shall have parlour-maids with white braces over their shoulders.' "'My dear, I haven't seen a soul since I left Winston yesterday, "'and I haven't seen you since this thunderbolt burst. "'Do they burst, by the way? "'All that happened before the 4th of August seems centuries away now. "'I can only dimly remember what I used to be like. "'A European war. "'For ten years, at least, that has been a sort of unspeakable nightmare "'which nobody ever really believed in, "'and here we are, plunged up to the neck in it.' "'Edith seemed to have something in reserve.' "'Go on,' she said, helping herself to an admirable omelette. "'I want to know how it affects you.' Dodo finished her omelette in a hurry, and drew a basket full of wool and knitting needles from under the table. Out of it she took a long sort of pipe made of worsted. She made a few rapid passes with her needles. "'I have been frightfully busy,' she said. "'If I'm not busy all the time, I begin wondering if any power in heaven or earth can stop that relentless advance of the Germans.' The French government are evacuating Paris, and then I ask myself, what will happen next? What about the channel ports? What about the zeppelins that are going to shower bombs on us? And then, by the grace of God, I stop asking myself questions which I can't answer and occupy myself in some way. I have been terrifically busy at Winston, clearing all the house out for the hospital we are having there, and just making a small habitable corner for David and Jack and me at the end of the East Wing, do you remember, where the big wisteria is?' "'Central heating, you know, because Jack says there will be no coal very soon, and my darling daddy is going to pay the bill. Then I came up here, because this house is to be a hospital for officers.' Dodo suddenly threw her hands wide with a gesture of despair. "'Oh, how useless one is,' she said. "'I know quite well that my housekeeper could have done it all with the utmost calmness and efficiency in half the time it took me.' When I was wildly exciting myself about blocking up a door in my room at Winston, so as not to have vegetable smells coming up from the kitchen, and thinking how tremendously clever I was being, she waited till I had quite finished talking, and then said, "'But how will your ladyship get into your room? And it's the same with this awful stocking.' Dodo exhibited her work. "'Look,' she said, "'the leg is over two feet long already, and for three days past I have been trying to turn the heel, as the book says, but the heel won't turn. The stocking goes on in a straight line like a billiard cue. I can never do another one, so even if the heel was kind enough to turn now, I should have to advertise for a man at least seven feet high who had lost one leg. The advertisement would cost more than the stocking was worth, even if it ever got a foot to it.' Failing the seven-foot one-legged man, all that this piece of worsted tubing can possibly be used for is to put outside some exposed water pipe in case of a severe frost. 
Even then I should have to rip it up from top to bottom to get it round the pipe, or cut off the water supply and take the pipe down and then fit the stocking onto it. Then again, when David's nurse left, I said I would look after him. But I didn't know how. The nervous force and the time and the cotton and the prickings of my finger that were required to sew on a button would have run a tailor's shop for a week. Oh, my dear, it's awful. Here is England wanting everything that a country can want, and here am I with hundreds of other women absolutely unable to do anything. We thought we were queens of the whole place and were the rottenest female drones that ever existed. Then again, I imagined I might be able to do what any second-rate housemaid does without the smallest difficulty, so when other people had taken up the carpet on the big stairs at Winston, I sent four or five servants to fetch me a broom so that I could sweep the stairs. They were dusting and fiddling about in the way housemaids do, and they all grinned pleasantly and stopped their work to fetch me something to sweep the stairs with. I supposed they would bring me an ordinary broom, but they brought a pole with a wobbly iron ring at the end of it, to which was attached a sort of toe-wig. I didn't like to ask them how to manage it, so I began dabbing about with it. And at that very moment the grim matron leaned over the banisters at the top of the stairs and called out, "'What are you doing there? You look as if you had never used a mop before.' I hadn't, that was the beastly part of it, and then she came down and apologized, and I apologized, and she showed me what to do, and I hit a housemaid in the eye, and hurt my wrist, and dislocated all work on that staircase for twenty minutes. And then I tried to weigh out stores as they came in, and I didn't know how many pennies or something went to a pound troy, and you may be surprised to hear that a hundredweight is less than a quarter, or if it's more, it's isn't nearly so much as you would think. I'm useless, and I always thought I was so damned clever. All I can do is play the fool, and who wants that now? All my life I have been telling other people to do things without knowing how to do them myself. I can't boil a potato, I can't sew on a button, and yet I'm supposed to be a shining light in war work. Marquez mes mots, as the Frenchman never said. They'll soon be giving wonderful orders and decorations to war workers, and they'll make me a grand cross or a garter or a suspender or something, because I've made a delicious flat for myself in the corner of Winston and sent the bill in to Daddy, and will be going round the wards at Winston and saying something futile to those poor darling boys who have done the work. Dodo held up a large piece of hothouse peach on the end of her fork. Look at that, too, she said. I'm an absolute disgrace. Fancy eating hothouse peaches in days like these. Edith had rather enjoyed certain parts of Dodo's vivacious summary of herself, but the most of it caused her to snort and sniff in violent disagreement. Once or twice she had attempted to talk, too, but it was no use till Dodo had blown off the steam of her self-condemnation. Now, however, she took up her own parable. "'Wouldn't you think it very odd of me,' she said in a loud voice, "'if I began writing epic poems?' "'Yes, dear, very odd,' said Dodo. "'It wouldn't be the least odder than you trying to sew on buttons or washing David. "'You are just as incapable of that as I am of the other. "'You only waste your time. You never learned how, so why on earth should you know how? "'We are all gone perfectly mad. "'We're all trying to do things that are absolutely unsuited to us. "'I really believe I'm the only sane woman left in England.' Since the war began, I have devoted myself entirely to my music, and I've written more in these last few weeks than I have during a whole year before. There have been no distractions, no absurd dances and dinners. I've been absolutely uninterrupted. Bertie has been taken on for the London defense against Zeppelins. He has never seen a Zeppelin and knows as much about defenses as I know about writing sonnets. 
and Madge pours out the most awful tea and coffee on the platform at Victoria. She never could pour anything out. If she was helping herself to a cup of tea, she flooded the tray. And I should think that in a few days Victoria Station will be entirely submerged. That will mean that troops will have to reach their trains in London by means of rafts. But one can't help doing something, said Dodo. One can't go on being useless. You don't mend it by being worse than useless. That's why I devote myself to music. I can do that. And I can't do any of the things that everybody else is trying to do. Edith paused a moment. There's another reason, too, she said. I should go off my head if I wasn't busy about something. I wish there was such a thing as a clinical thermometer of unhappiness, and you would see how utterly miserable I am. You can't guess what being at war with Germany means to me. All that is best in the world to me comes from Germany. All music comes from there. And yet last night, when I was playing a bit of Brahms, Bertie said, Oh, do stop that damned Hun tune. Why, there's no such thing as a Hun tune. Music is simply music. And with a few exceptions, the Huns, as he loves to call them, have made it all. He calls them Huns, said Dodo carefully, because they've already proved themselves the most infamous barbarians. Did you see the fresh atrocities in the Times this morning? I did and I blushed for the wickedness of the people who invented them and the credulity of the people who believed them. They can't be true. I know the Germans, and they are incapable of that sort of thing. I bet you that every German paper is full of similar atrocities committed by the English. Then you'll have to blush for the wickedness and the credulity of the Germans too, darling, remarked Dodo. You will be read. Edith laughed. Yes, I'm sorry I said that, she said, but in any case what has Brahms got to do with it? How can any sane person develop racial hatred like that? Let's have a pogrom of Jews because of Judas Iscariot. To go back. I'm not sent into the world to empty slops, but to make symphonies. Very few people can make symphonies, and I'm one of them. Huns or no Huns, what have artists to do with war? But, my dear, you can't help having to do with it, said Dodo. You might as well say, what have artists to do with earthquakes? but an earthquake will shake down an artist's house just as merrily as a commercial traveller's. You can't be English and not have to do with war. Edith was silent a moment, and suddenly her face began to tie itself into the most extraordinary knots. Give me some port, or I shall cry, she said. I won't cry. I never do cry, and I'm not going to begin now. The prescription seemed to be efficacious. Then there's my boy, she said. Berts has left Cambridge, and I suppose that before Christmas he'll be out in France. He's about as much fitted to be a soldier as you are to be a housemaid. Of all the instances of everybody wanting to do what they are totally incapable of, the worst is the notion that we can make an army. You can't make an army by giving boys bayonets. Germany is an army. For forty years she has been an army. Why compete? Germany will wipe up our army and the French army like a housemaid, which you want to be wiping up a slop. Have you seen what the German advance has been doing this last week? Nothing in the world can save Paris. Nothing in the world can save France. Out of mere humanitarian motives, I want France to see that as quickly as possible. The war is over. Dodo rose. Don't talk such damned nonsense, Edith, she said. That port has gone to your head and given you vent triste. If anything was wanting to make me quite certain that we are going to win it, it is the fact that you say we are not. Do you remember when those beastly Allensteins were staying with me, and how he knocked out Deutschland über alles on the table with his fat fingers? The effect on you was that you played Rule Britannia and God Save the King as loud as you could on the piano next door. 
It was extremely rude of you, but it showed a proper spirit. Why can't you do it now? Because it's hopeless. Before Germany showed her strength, you could do that just as you can tweak a lion's tail when he is lying asleep behind bars at the zoo. But now we're inside the cage. I don't say we are not formidable, but we don't make ourselves more formidable by sending all the best of our young men out to France to be shot down like rabbits. We were not prepared, and Germany was. Her war machine has been running for years, smoothly and slowly, at quarter steam. We've got to make a machine, and then we've got to learn how to run it. Then about the Navy... Dodo assumed a puzzled expression. Somebody, I don't know who, she said, told me that there was an English Navy. Probably it was all lies like the German atrocities. Edith threw her hands wide. Do you think I like feeling as I do, she asked. Do you think I do it for fun? No, dear, for my amusement, said Dodo briskly, but unfortunately it only makes me sick. Hello, here's David. David entered, making an awful noise on a drum. "'Shut up, David,' said his mother, "'and tell Edith what you are going to do when you're eighteen. "'Kill the Huns,' chanted David. "'Mayn't I play my drum any more, Mummy? "'Yes, go and play it all over the house, "'and sing Tipperary all the time.' "'David made a shrill departure. "'Of course you can teach any child that,' said Edith. "'I know. That's so lovely. "'If I had fifty children, I should teach it to them all. "'I wish I had. "'I should love seeing them all go out to France, "'and I should squirm as each of them went.' I should like to dig up the graves of Bach and Brahms and Beethoven and Wagner and Goethe and stamp on their remains. They have nothing to do with it all but their Huns. I don't care whether it is logical or Christian or anything else, but that's the way to win the war. And you're largely responsible for that. I never saw red before you talked such nonsense about the war being over. If we haven't got an army, we're going to have one, and I shall learn to drive a motor. If I could go to that window and be shot— Provided one of those beastly Huns was shot too, I should give you one kiss, darling, to show I forgave you, and go to the window dancing. I quite allow that if everybody was like you, we should lose, but thank God we're not. Dodo's face was crimson with pure patriotism. I'm not angry with you, she said. I'm only telling you what you don't know and what I do know, so don't resent it, because I haven't the slightest intention of quarreling with you, and it takes two to make a quarrel. "'You know about trombones and C-flat, and if you told me about C-flat—' Edith suddenly burst into a howl of laughter. "'Or C-sharp,' said Dodo, "'or a harpsichord. Oh, don't laugh. What have I said?' Edith recovered by degrees and wiped her eyes. "'In all my life I have never had so many offensive things said to me,' she remarked. "'I can't think why I don't mind.' "'Oh, because you know I love you,' said Dodo, with conviction." "'I suppose so. But there's Bert's going out to that hell.' "'Oh, but you said the war was over already,' said Dodo. "'Besides, what would you think of him if he didn't go?' "'I should think it extremely sensible of him,' began Edith in a great hurry. "'And after you had thought that?' suggested Dodo. Edith considered this. "'I don't know what I should think next,' she said. "'What I am going to do next is get back to my scoring.' Edith's remarks about the absurdity of people attempting to do things for which they had no aptitude made a distinct impression on Dodo, and she totally abandoned the stocking of which she could not turn the heel and made no further dislocation of work by trying to use a mop. But she found that if she really attended, she could count blankets and bed jackets and weigh out stores and superintend their distribution. Again, driving a motor was a thing that seemed within the limits of her ability— and by the time that Winston was in full running order as a hospital, she was fairly competent as a driver. 
awful incidents had accompanied her apprenticeship she had twice stripped her gear had run into a stone wall luckily in a poor state of repair and had three times butted at a gate-post her last accident after a week really tedious from mere uneventfulness had been when she had gone all alone as a pleasant surprise to the station to meet jack who was coming home for two days leave she had been both driving and talking at high speed, and so had not seen that she was close to a very sharp corner on the marshy common just outside the gates, and preferring the prudent course, as opposed to the sporting chance of getting round the corner without capsizing, had gone straight ahead, leaving the road altogether, until remembering to apply her brakes, she stuck fast and oozily in the marsh. "'There,' she said, with some pride, "'if I had been reckless and imprudent, I should have tried to get round that corner and had an upset.' "'Didn't I show presence of mind, Jack?' Marvellous. "'And what are we to do now?' Dodo looked round. "'We had better shout,' she said, "'and then somebody will come with a horse and pull us out backwards. "'It has happened before,' she added candidly. "'But if nobody comes?' asked he. "'Somebody is sure to. "'It's unthinkable that we should remain here "'till we die of exposure and hunger "'and the crows pick our whitening bones. "'The only other thing to do is that you should jump out and fetch somebody.' I wouldn't advise you to, as you would sink up to your knees in the mud. But it's a lovely afternoon. Let's sit here and talk till something happens. Haven't I learned to drive quickly? Very quickly, said Jack. We've covered the last three miles in four minutes. I didn't mean that sort of quickly, said Dodo, though dare say I said it. Isn't it lucky it's fine and that we've got plenty of time? I wanted to talk with you, and somebody would be sure to interrupt at home. He would want sticking plaster or chloroform or charades. "'Is all that your department?' asked Jack. "'Yes. They call me Harrods. You never thought I should become Harrods. "'Oh, Jack, if you've got an ache in your mind, the cure is to work your body till that aches too. "'Then two aches make an affirmative.' "'What?' said Jack. "'You see what I mean. And the odd thing is that though I'm entirely taken up with the war, "'I try not to think about the war at all, at least not in the way I used to before I became Harrods. "'One is too busy with the thing itself to think about it.' "'In fact, I haven't looked at the papers for the last day or two. "'Has there been any news?' "'Not much. I've been busy, too, and I really hardly know. "'But there's been nothing of importance.' "'Jack, what's going to happen?' she asked. "'Oh, we're going to win, of course. "'God knows when, perhaps after three years or so. "'But it's no good thinking about that.' "'Dodo gave a little groan. "'Oh, I know it isn't. "'If I realized that this was going on all that time, "'I think I should just... "'Get drunk every day. "'Let's talk about something else and not realize it.' "'When are you coming to see my camp?' asked he. "'I should think when the war is over and there isn't any camp. "'I don't see how I can get away before. "'How long has it been going now? "'Only three months, is it? "'And I can hardly remember what things were like before. "'How did one get through the day? "'We got up later, it is true, but then we went to bed later. "'Did we do nothing except amuse ourselves? "'I couldn't amuse myself now.' "'And what did we talk about? "'I seem to remember sitting and talking for hours together "'and not finding it the least tedious.' "'I shall insist on your having a holiday soon,' said Jack. "'Oh, no, darling, you won't. "'I've had fifty-five years' holiday in my life and three months' work. "'That doesn't give much of a daily average if you work it out "'somewhere about five minutes a day, isn't it? "'I must have something better than that to show before I have another holiday. "'Jack, did you say that we must look forward to three years?' "'Or more of this? "'Good Lord, how senseless it all is. "'What do you prove by setting millions of jolly boys to kill each other? "'Oh, I shouldn't have said that. "'I would have said, 
"'What do you prove by having our jolly boys killed by those damned Huns?' "'Yes, darling, I said damned, and I intended to. "'I told Edith that one day, "'the way to win a war is to be convinced that your enemy are fiends. "'Also, as that fat Albert would say, we must therefore kill them. "'But I wish I really meant it. "'There must be a lot of nice fellows among the Huns. "'They've had a bad education. "'That's what is the matter with them. "'Also, they have no sense of humour. "'Fancy writing a hymn of hate "'and having it solemnly sung by every household. "'That odious Cousin Willie has approved of it, "'and it is being printed by the million. "'No sense of humour. "'Dodo unconsciously hooted on her motor-horn "'and looked wildly round. "'I didn't mean to do that,' she said, "'because I don't want to be rescued just yet.' "'It's lovely sitting here and talking to you, Jack, "'without fear of being asked to sign something. "'What was I saying? "'Oh, yes, humour. "'The Huns haven't got any humour, "'and the lack of that and of mirth will be their undoing. "'How wise Queen Elizabeth was when she said "'that God knew there was need for mirth in England now, "'just at the time when England was in direst peril. "'That is frightfully true today. "'We shall get through by taking it gaily. "'It's much best not to let oneself see "'the stupendous tragedy of it all.' If I did that, I would simply shrivel up or get drunk. Dodo began a laugh that was near a sob. I saw three boys this morning, she said, all of whom had had a leg amputated. There were three legs to the lot of them, so they put their arms round each other's necks so as to form a solid body and marched down the long walk, shouting, Left, right, left, right. Then they saw me and disentangled their arms and grinned and tried to salute, and so they all fell down with roars of laughter. "'My dear, did you ever hear of such darlings? "'That was the mirth that Queen Elizabeth said was so necessary. "'I wanted to kiss them all, Jack.' "'I want to kiss you,' he said. "'Then you shall, you dear, if you think it won't shock the Magneto. "'I do miss you so horribly. "'You're the only real link between the days before the war and the war. "'All other values are changed except you and David. "'What a nice talk we have had. "'At least I've had the talk, so you must do your part and find it nice.' Now let's hoot, until several strong cart-horses come to help us. Dodo performed an amazing fantasy on the horn, while the early sunset of this November day began to flame in the west, which reminded her that there were charades this evening. A chance bicyclist was eventually induced to take a message to a farm about half a mile distant, and a small child came from the farm and took a message to his mother, who came out to see what was happening and took a message to her husband, who did the same and went back for a horse, which was found to be insufficient, so deeply were they stuck, and another horse had to be produced from another farm. After that they came out of the marsh like a cork being pulled out of a bottle, and Dodo was in time to be the German emperor with a racing cup upside down on her head for a helmet, an enormous moustache, and half a dozen sons. This scene represented the complete word, which was instantly guessed and hissed as being undoubtedly Potsdam. End of chapter 7 Recording by Crowgirl, redcrowblog.wordpress.com